Apostle John had when he looked upon when he looked upon that throne of God in the heavenly places and what a vision that will be when one day we too will see it. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24 as we come to the last sermon that we will do, Lord, I believe, I think, on the Sermon on the Mount. That is the plan at least and next Sunday we will celebrate the uh, third anniversary of Grace Baptist Church and we'll celebrate that with a with a covenant kind of Sunday and the sermon will be around the covenant. But today I want us to think about this last section that our Lord is speaking in the Sermon on the Mount. Now he has prepared it by talking about uh, the narrow gate and the wide gate. The wide gate leads to destruction, the narrow gate leads to life. He's prepared us for this last statement by talking about a tree and its fruits and false prophets and how a false prophet cannot bear good fruit and you'll know them. They come in sheep's clothing, but they're really ravenous wolves who desire to destroy that which God is protecting. He's prepared us by saying, not everyone who says to me in that day, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. That there are those who have empty words and no real content in their heart. And so if they come with just words of Lord and words of, uh, of exclamation, and yet there's no reality of faith within their heart, within their life, then they are merely empty words that are being spoken. I mean, as I said last week, this last part of the sermon are some very disturbing words by the Lord Jesus Christ. They're words that you might expect to come from maybe the Apostle Paul, or maybe Peter, or some other New Testament writer, but these are coming from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ, who after talking about what Christian character is all about, and taking us all through this sermon on, on the mount, this whole sermon teaches about Christian character, teaching us about the cure for anxiety and worry, teaching us about trusting Him and putting all our faith in Him. He now comes with these words of beware, be careful, be, be sure. The Apostle Paul said to the Corinthian Christians when he came to the Lord's table, he said, now you be sure and examine yourselves to be sure that you are of the faith, that you have faith. That it's not just a religious experience. That it's not just some kind of religious ritual that you're going through. He said, you be sure to examine yourselves continuously. Doesn't mean we have to always go around doubting our salvation. We can have certainty in Christ. We can have assurance in Christ. There's no doubt about that. But we need to be sure that our assurance and our certainty are based on the right things. They're not based on the fact that you went to church all your life and, and you had a... I remember when I was growing up, we don't do this anymore, but I remember when I was growing up, I had perfect attendance pins. They fit right here. And every year that I had another perfect year of attendance, I got a little banner that attached to it. And I think I got one when I was growing up. But I had a friend who had about 12 hung all the way down here, you know. And we're, we can real easily think that, well, because I've got these medals here that my church gave me for perfect attendance, I'm all right with God. Maybe, maybe not. Because it's not about what you do. It's about who you know. It's not about what you do, 
But it's about having that relationship with Christ so that he says on that last day, Enter in, good and faithful servant, for I know you, rather than saying, Depart from me, for I never knew you. Which he says in verse 23 will be the experience of a lot of people who had empty words, but no real content in their soul. Well, he talks about the foundations that will lead to life. He talks about the foundations that will take us through the narrow gate and not the wide gate, that will take us to life and not destruction. In verses 24 through 27, and then you have Matthew's comments at the end, which we'll just briefly look at in 28 and 29. But hear the word of the Lord. This is God's word as I read it. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and they slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one having authority, not as their scribes teach. I don't know what you see when you hear this story, this, this closing that Jesus gives. But the, the first thing that always comes to my mind when I read those verses are what you see almost every year on television out on the West Coast, out in California. Never fails when the rains come and they've built these mansions on the sides of mountains and the rains come, the soil gets loosened, some other things happen, and all of a sudden those houses that are built up there on that beautiful mountainside with a majestic view, no doubt, over the Pacific Ocean, those houses start sliding down the hill until finally they hit the bottom and they just crash and their destruction, their fall, is very great because it ruins everything. It destroys everything. And there's no way to get the house from the bottom back up to the top because the land that the house was on is virtually gone. Or think about a time when there's a hurricane that comes along and someone has built these beautiful homes out on the on the coast, out on the Pacific, on the Atlantic, or, or even in the Gulf, and, and they're on this sand, beautiful sand dunes, and, and a big hurricane comes, and the waves come, and the, the washaway comes, and it takes the sand out to sea, and that house just collapses. Sometimes it goes out with it. I remember a place we used to stay in Panama City sometimes. A friend of mine had a condo there, and we used to stay there. I remember a, a hurricane came through there one time, and they had these huge double pools out between the condo and the and the ocean. I always wonder why you put a pool at an ocean. You know, it's, I heard John Piper say one time, you know, this this is man's pool. That's God's pool. You know, I mean, why would you put this little dinky thing? But they built these huge uh, two double twin pools right between the ocean and the house. The hurricane came and they went out to check on it. The condos were still there, but the pools were nowhere to be found. God's uh, God's pool had swallowed up man's pool. And it was gone. The point I'm making is the foundation on which something is built has everything to do with how firm it will stand. 
the foundation that your life is built up on will have everything to do with how much or how well it stands when the storms of life, we can use that analogy, or the, or the troubles of life come charging in, and when things start falling apart, what your life is built upon will determine about whether you stand or whether you fall. We all have those times. We all have those times when there are financial turnarounds or turn, downturns. We all have those times in an economy like ours where you think things are going so well and everything's great and then all of a sudden things fall apart and that you thought was, was there, secure, that you could always have to fall back on is no longer there. There's no security there. There's nothing there. It's gone. And at those times the test really comes, what are you basing your life upon? Where is your security? What is important to you? Is, are, are things important to you? Are, are little idols, little, little things that can crumble or be stolen or can rust or can, can, can just vanish and burn up? Are, are those the things that, your life, that really matter in your life, that you've built your life upon? Well, those things are like sand and they, they will cause your life to fall and there will be a great fall when it comes. But if your life is built upon a rock, if your life is like the wise man whose house was built on the rock, the solid rock, we sang about it earlier, the, on Christ the solid rock I stand, you know, everything else is sinking sand, but Christ is the solid rock. Now that means this, it doesn't mean you just give lip service to Christ. That's what those people were doing that Jesus said to them, depart from me because I never knew you. It's not that you say, oh yeah, I will throw out a word of, of appreciation and I'll, show, uh, I'll throw out a little word of, of gratitude every now and then, but my real heart, my real life is founded upon all this stuff around me and if it vanishes, I, I will just be crushed. But the real rock is Christ. Talked to somebody last week that uh, they were doing so well. They were going so well. And I said, well, you know, are, are you a believer? Oh, yes, I'm a believer. I said, well, tell me why you're a believer. Well, I'm a believer because I, I believe in Jesus. I said, oh, well, tell me what you believe about Jesus. Well, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. So oh, that's great. Tell me more about it. Tell me more about your salvation. Well, I, I believe in Jesus, and then I try my very best to do everything I can to be right with God. Sand sand. You can't do anything to be right with God. It's not a matter of doing and, and trying and striving and working and, and, and seeing how much you can do to please God. It's a matter of having faith in Jesus Christ alone. Building your whole life, not upon what I can do to try to please God, but building your whole life upon Jesus Christ, the solid rock. See, I trust in Christ for my salvation. If it were dependent on my good works and my good deeds, I would be doomed. You say, oh, Bill, I, I thought you were a pastor. I thought you were, had all these good things. You're a good man. No, I'm not. I think I shattered somebody's opinion of me a few weeks ago when I said, I'm, I'm not a good man. I'm really not a good man. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner saved by grace. 
I'm a sinner that the grace of God has touched and has changed from the inside, but I stand clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And if it weren't for His righteousness, I would have no righteousness. If it weren't for His goodness, I would have no goodness. All I had was filthy rags and dirty stuff. And He covered me in Himself. By His grace, He gave me life. By His grace, He gave me righteousness. By His grace, He changed my heart. He is the only rock. He is the only foundation. He is the only place to place your life. Anything else will crumble. Anything else will fall. That's why I wanted to have this Lord's Supper first today. That's why I want us to celebrate it at the very beginning of the service and then sing these great songs of praise and songs of revelation about the revelation of God and and sing and think about His good gift around the table before we offer praise to Him. I just think that's good. And then I want us to come to this last passage in the Sermon on the Mount. see that really the rock is what is is epitomized the rock that we place our life upon is demonstrated in this supper in this meal his death his body given his blood the blood of the new covenant poured out his blood covering us his death covering us his life covering us he is the only hope and the cross It's our only hope. Jesus said, this is it. There are two foundations. One will stand, one will fall. One will stand secure for all time. One will crumble at the least trouble, least amount of trouble. He says that to the people. They've heard this whole thing, and I've told you this is probably just Matthew's outline, it's probably not every word that Jesus spoke, but it certainly encapsulates the the meaning and the, 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 the emotion and the passion that was there with our Lord. And he comes to this end and he looks out at all those people that were building their hope. They were building what they thought was security upon a ritual, upon a religion. And they heard him say, if it's not on the rock not on the right rock, if it's not firmly founded on the right foundation, it will be destroyed. I'm sure they were scratching their heads. I mean, they heard their scribes preach all the time. They heard their scribes open up the law and say, this is what God has done. This is what God has said. Uh, go there and do whatever. But this man said, no. It's not about law. It's not about trying to, trying to be obedient so you can get life, but it's about having life so that you can be obedient. We always try, Satan tries to counterfeit, tries to reverse everything of God. You know that. We've talked about that. And that's exactly what he does here. Satan comes along and says, Oh, you better be a good boy or girl. You better try harder. You better, and if you'll just be good enough, God will love you. Because he knows that's no way to get in right relationship with God. God says, come to me. Christ says, come to me, you who are 
burdened and heavy laden, come to me and I'll give you rest. My burden is light. My yoke is, is, is light. Come to me and I will give you life. Come to me and I will give you an internal reality whereby you can obey. It's not obey to be right with God. It's be right with God so that you can obey. That's what the new covenant's all about. I read that passage. I hope you listened while the elements were being passed out of, out of Hebrews chapter 8. And that's the writer of Hebrews just quoting the prophet Jeremiah. And he said, listen, three things are going to happen in this new covenant. Three important things. Don't miss them because it changes everything. One, everybody that's in this new covenant, everybody that comes to faith in Christ, every one of them will know Christ, will know God through Jesus Christ. There'll be a relationship. There'll be an intimacy. There'll be a fellowship. There'll be a walk. Everyone in this covenant relationship will know me. Not just know about me. Not just know some facts. They will know me intimately as their Lord and as their Savior. Secondly, he said, And I will write my law upon their hearts and upon their minds. You see, up to this point, where is the law? The law is on some tablets and on some parchments that have copied off the tablets. The law of God is external. The law of God is something that people look at and say, boy, I wish I could do that, but I just can't do it. I can't abide by it, especially when Jesus comes along and reinterprets it in all sorts of ways, like if you hate somebody, then you've committed murder, or if you, you lust after somebody, you've committed adultery in your heart already. I mean, those kind of things are just impossible. In the New Covenant... God takes the external law and internalizes it. He writes his truth upon our hearts and upon our minds. And he gives us the Holy Spirit dwelling within. And he gives us his righteousness and he gives us his life. And we now don't live out our lives trying to somehow work it out to please him and make him happy. We live our lives experiencing his life. As Paul said to the Colossians, Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's Christ in you, living in you and living through you is the hope of glory. They'll all know me. They'll all have my laws written on their hearts and upon their minds. Not an external matter, but an internal matter governed by the Holy Spirit. And then finally, in this new covenant, I will forgive their sins and I will remember them against them no more. God's not going to get you before the throne of God if you're covered in the righteousness of Christ. If you, are, if you are a believer, if your words are not empty words, but content-filled words with the reality of faith, God's not going to get you before heaven and say, well, you know, you really blew it back there on, on November the 15th, 2009. You really blew it that day, and, and I don't know if I can... I don't know if I can receive you or not because you committed a sin that day and, and, you know, I'm not sure you ever asked forgiveness for it or not. No. If you're filled with the faith in Jesus Christ, your sins are covered. And he sees you through the person of Jesus Christ, his only son. Your sins are forgiven, never to be remembered against you again. You know, we humans are good at saying we forgive, but then coming along and saying when it's to our advantage, oh, but do you remember when? This happens in marriage all the time. You know, honey, will you forgive me? Of course I'll forgive you. Ten years later, when 
you don't have the upper hand. You say, well, I may be wrong now, but do you remember what you did 10 years ago this very day? Oh, you got a great memory. Well, God is a great memory. God is an omnipotent God. God is an omniscient God. God knows everything, and God forgets nothing. But he says, I'll never remember them against you again, ever. I'll never throw it up in your face. I'll never say, oh, yeah, but these people looked at him. He preached this sermon, and they heard this sermon, and they were, they were amazed at his teaching, Matthew says. He said, they were just absolutely astonished at what he said. Why? Because he was teaching them as one having authority, not as their scribes. You know why he was teaching them as one having authority? Because he had authority. Yeah. Yeah, he is the king of kings. That's authority, brother, sister, <laughs> folks. That's authority. You know, he is the Lord of all lords. That's authority. He is the Son of God come down out of heaven. He is now seated at the right hand of the Father and ruling for all of, all of eternity. That's authority. He was God in the flesh. A human being, yes, 100% human, but also 100% God. He was God eternal taking upon a body, taking upon flesh and bone, and living among us, dwelling among us. Or as literally the... the Greek says in, in John 1, 1, tabernacling among us, pitching his tent among us. He had authority. He had authority because he is the authority. The words he's speaking for you and me to be able to get in a book and read are, are authoritative because they are his words. And he is God in the flesh. They are the very words of God Almighty. Scribes could say, oh, look over there. God has said, and maybe even have a little bit of doubt in their mind. But Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I'm all of it. I am the authority. I am the authoritative one. Hear my words. That's what he's saying. And that's what he's saying in this passage in 24 through 27. There's foundation, and the foundation is upon me, and hear what I'm saying. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them is foolish and like building on sand. But he who hears my words, the one who hears my words and acts on them is wise. Because the words have been built in their life by an act of the Holy Spirit. The words have been built in your life by an act of God. By His grace. And for His glory. That's why we started with, this, with the supper. That's why we started with praise. That's why we sing praises to Him. Because He is worthy of our praise. The Sermon on the Mount is a powerful message that we must see and understand. 
because it's the words of Jesus to every disciple about what their life is all about. Let's pray. Father, we come this morning thanking you for your goodness and for your grace. We come this morning thanking you for the words of the sermon that Jesus has preached and that we have taken 31 weeks to look at. Father, I pray that it will all be a reality to us. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will move into our hearts and ignite life and rekindle the gifts that you put there. That we might obey you, not in order to try to please you in a way of getting your favor, but, Lord, that we might obey you because we have the favor of God because we're your child if we're in Christ. Father, do your work in your way by your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for this day and for this truth. Lord, I pray for men and women who are here that don't know you. I pray that your Holy Spirit will move in their heart and their life and draw them to faith in Christ. Or they may have been very religious, but they've never trusted you fully. They've never really put their faith and their trust in you. They're still trusting in things and stuff. Lord, I pray you work in their heart right now. Draw them, bring them to faith in Christ. Father, for others who need to do business with you where they're sitting right now and where they'll be standing in a moment uh, and just need, to, just need to talk with you about areas of their life that need to have you captivated. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will work with them. And, and many other things, Lord. Just do what you need to do. If it needs to be public, let them make it public. If it needs to be between you and them, then, Lord, just do it right there. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.